Start it again. I am recording. Hey, hello, and welcome to Curiously Polar, the yeah, the Arctic and Antarctic and Polar podcast about all things very north and very south, pretty much. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> hey, welcome Mario, to how are you podcast. doing? I'm doing fine, Chris. Yeah, my name is Chris Marquardt, and uh, you heard his name, uh, his his voice, Mario Aquarone, polar, well, polar scientist. Marine biologist, naturalist, all interesting yeah, you things. Name it. Especially, especially a person that is very, very curious about all things natural and uh, all things polar. And so am I. And if you if you're listening to this for the first time, this is uh, a podcast coming to you. Hopefully, every week we're shooting for that, and you can find it on. Well, iTunes and all other places where you get your podcasts and, of course, at CuriouslyPolar.com. Last week in episode four, we talked about the Antarctic and Arctic and what defines them. And we already kind of dipped our toe a bit into that whole like, maybe potentially controversial topic of climate change and uh, what the Arctic and Antarctic have to do with it or how it manifests there. So... Um, let's, let's make this episode about climate change and see yeah. how much, how much reaction we can evoke from the audience. Yeah, but that's, uh, that's a very good idea. I'm actually, uh, I am not, I'm not sure I, I agree with you that, uh, the climate change is controversial. It's more like what the cause of climate change yeah, is I, that I, is controversial. I think it is not controversial, uh, that it is happening and that humans have, uh, probably a, an important role to play in it um, but what what is it what does climate change actually mean well climate change is the uh well the like changing the climate <laughs> in the difference in the uh in the global temperature mm -hmm. uh, of course it's differences in global and local temperatures and it can go both ways it can be a cooling or a warming and it can be localized it can be generalized in any case, it's something that has happened all through the Earth's history. And uh, it uh, depends on, uh, throughout the Earth's history, it has uh, depended on uh, things that, uh, on factors that uh, are not dependent on humans, because uh, for most of the Earth's history, humans were not present. And uh, recently, there is a, uh, uh, like, the analysis of what's happening uh, can be put into correlation with human activity. Uh, and uh, uh, it is also my, I wouldn't say my belief, but what I, it is actually what I deduce from the facts scientifically, because I think that we have to, to uh, make a difference between belief and constatation mm -hmm. or deduction from what we are doing in science what what science is actually telling us science is not a matter of belief science is a matter of looking at the facts and looking at the most plausible uh answer to some phenomena mm -hmm. or plausible uh, explanations for phenomena so we are seeing phenomena we are seeing things changing and i think to, uh, the two places on earth where they uh, manifest very visually is up in the arctic and down in the antarctic well, yeah, Chris, when we were up in uh, in Svalbard a couple of weeks ago, we went 
into uh, bays where glaciers were coming into the water. Right. Where which we had is, glacier fronts onto the in the fjords. Which are very impressive, by the way. If you if you are on a ship in front of one of these glaciers and stay there overnight anchoring, um, it's it's quite something. Yeah, it is. It is very impressive. And especially uh, impressive is uh, the uh, the glacier front, and when the glacier calves, so when big chunks of ice actually fall from the front of the glacier, you have to keep a well clear of of that area and the and all the life that is actually around the glacier front. But what I what I wanted to point out here is that when we went into uh, these areas with the ship we had to uh, stay quite far away, not only because of the danger from the ice, but also because the waters uh, for hundreds of meters, if not kilometers, uh, several kilometers in front of the glacier were uncharted. Uh, uncharted means you didn't know how deep the water is, what it looks like under the water. Exactly, exactly. We didn't know if it was safe to navigate in those areas. And that is because the uh, nautical charts were uh, made in around the 60s. Mm-hmm. And uh, on, on some of the maps that we had, like uh, some of the hiking maps, we had actually the uh, past position of the glacier fronts in the uh, mid-60s and <laughs> in the 80s. And we can see, we can actually see directly how the glacier front has retreated in in one in one uh instance we even had a little island there that was not on the map that was exactly that was covered by a glacier when the maps were made yes it it was like this and we had uh, this island called uh, blomstrand uh, peninsula blomstrand haloya in the uh area of kongsjord just north of new olesund the um scientific base of New Olesund. And that is called a peninsula because when it was described uh, about a hundred years ago, not not even, it was um, actually connected to the rest of the uh, island uh, around it uh, by a glacier. And um, and so they thought it was a, it was a it was a peninsula. <laughs> but when the glacier melted, it turned out to be quite a big island. And now there is this island in the middle of a fjord that is called a peninsula, but it's not. Okay, so it is its own island. Now you can um, take a ship and sail around it. Yes, hmm. exactly. If you knew, but, well, if you knew if the waters were charted, is is. <laughs> Yes, and what is the water chart? Of course, you can do it uh, very carefully. You can you take. You know, this, uh, is, this is this blows my mind because in in the day and age of Google Earth, where you have satellite pictures of everything, you would think that every little nook and cranny of the Earth is is known now. And uh, just being out there on a ship, and the captain tells you we cannot go there; it's uncharted waters. And then you find out that a lot of that water is uncharted. Is uh, it blows my mind. Yeah, but uh, it is well known, and people that have explored the uh, the bottom of the oceans, they have confirmed, and it's a known fact that we know much more about the moon than about the bottom of the oceans. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so the the glaciers are retreating. They are going back. They are they are melting, and they're getting shorter. Um, yeah, but we also have the sea ice, which is the ice floating on the sea. 
Yes, because glaciers are what we have on land. And uh, we have glaciers, we have ice caps, we have uh, ice sheets. But uh, in the water, we have uh, sea ice. And uh, sea ice, which is can be called also some, some forms of sea ice, can be called pack ice um, or, or ice shelves. Uh, these are what we see in the media as disappearing, like the ice on the around in the arctic oceans around the north pole is disappearing so um just just for i'm okay my, my job here in this podcast often is to ask the naive questions so uh let me ask one isn't sea ice just coming out of glaciers it's not uh the sea ice by definitions is uh, seawater that is freezing and becoming ice and and sea, and and sea water can freeze even though it is salty It can freeze at a lower temperature than the uh, that the fresh water, mm -hmm. so it will freeze at uh, a couple of degrees below zero before freezing point for for uh, for fresh water. But uh, but it will freeze anyway. The ice will have a different consistency because there are ice there are salt crystals in it, but uh, it will freeze. So that sea ice is the is that the the most ice that is going away more than the glaciers? Uh, well, the uh, that is going away. You mean melting? This is melting. Yeah. Well, no, it's difficult to quantify the uh, melting of the sea ice because the way we have to detect sea ice is by looking at its extension coverage uh, from uh, aerial or satellite images. And uh, this means that we know the area that is covered by the ice, but we do not know very well how thick the ice is. And that means that the ice, uh, ice could be very thin and contain and be very little, very, very small in volume, or it can be very thick and then it can be, uh, multiples of, of the, of the surface. Uh, and that thin is hard, ice hard to see from a satellite. It's hard to see it. It's uh, there are some techniques. We have some uh, really good satellites now that can detect uh, uh, the height of the ice compared to the height of the seawater, oh. and by knowing how much ice is uh, uh, above the seawater, uh, we can, can calculate the volume. Estimate then. how much yeah. the vo of the volume of the ice is below the seawater. So these are possibilities now with the recent satellites. Uh, they are synthetic aperture radar satellites. Uh, they can look at the roughness of the ice. So a model is something, a model of the volume of the Arctic sea ice is very important. But we see now year after year that the Uh, area with multi-year ice, so the area that has stayed frozen for several years, is decreasing, and the area with uh, one-year ice is, uh, uh, is the one that the, the ice that, that melts during the summer and reforms over the winter mm -hmm. is uh, what we have as uh, a, a large extension of the uh, of the Arctic ice. And so we see we see that the Arctic ice in the summer retreats, in the winter it reforms. And when we talk about the Arctic ice disappearing, we are actually talking about the summer ice extent being very small and diminishing. Okay. And the winter ice extent can be also very large, but uh, it doesn't really it it matters less 
than the summer sea ice. I mean, let's let's try to take those two areas of our planet kind of into into perspective. Let's put them into perspective. Um, in terms of the amount of ice because um, the Arctic and the Antarctic have very different amounts of ice. Yes, and uh, I think that the most of the ice that matters to us in relation to uh, sea level change uh, is what is ice on land, is, the, is what is in the ice caps of our, our ice sheets. Are these, and are these ice caps... Um, are they being replenished in some way, or is that the ice that we have? Well, it's always um, it's always uh, a, a process of replenishing in the summer, and uh, so by, by raining on it, by by by, by snowfall okay. uh, and uh, icefall in the uh, in uh, or um, yeah, snowfall is mostly uh, in the uh, during the winter. And sometimes also over the summer, of course. Uh, but uh, then there is a melting in the warm weather, weather days or in the bottom uh, on the surface uh, between the, the ice cap and the earth that there is a melting of water and water coming out. And then there is a loss by direct uh, calving of the glaciers, uh, the glacier tongs into the sea. So that is quite a complex system. It's quite a complex system, and you have to make a balance between how much ice is gained and how much ice is lost. And and the balance now is uh, tilting towards losing more ice than what is gained during the uh, during the winter. And that is a, a result of the 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 global temperatures rising, because that what's that's what makes ice melt. Exactly, exactly. You nailed it. It is uh, something that is uh, very visible. So the 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 glaciers in that we visited, they are losing more ice along the front, and uh, by uh, thawing on the surface, uh, both on the surface above the glaciers and below the glacier, then the uh, additional ice that is formed by snowfall, for example, every year. Right. So one one kind of very very big in the media, or, or one thing that is represented a lot in the media lately, is uh, the Arctic ice, the Antarctic ice shelf that has now a, a crack growing through it. Um, it just just the last um, message I saw was like it grew eleven miles in only six days. So that's. Uh, 120 mile long crack i think it's called the larsen sea ice shelf yes, and it is it is exactly that and it's it only is, eight uh, miles larsen remaining until it kind of cuts it all the way off the ice shelf yeah it is um it is an ice shelf that is uh, on the east of the antarctic peninsula in the um in the weddell sea um the um the term ice shelf is uh defined uh, is encompassing a uh, ice uh on the seawater that is made fast with the coast so the ice shelf is connected to the coast but it is floating on water exactly okay precisely so the uh, this ice shelf which is called the larsen ice shelf 
east of the Antarctic Peninsula. Derived, I mean, is named after uh, C. A. Larsen, the uh, a very famous whaling captain, and uh, we might be at one point talk about whaling in the Southern Oceans. Mm-hmm. And he's the founder or the initiator of the whaling stations in South Georgia. And um, but he uh, has nothing to do with the ice now. It was a geographical name. Now the Larsen Ice Shelf has been coming off in chunks, and this is why we are a chunk C now. We have the Larsen A and the Larsen B, where parts of the of this ice shelf that has previously uh, carved, they have been cracking out of the main Larsen Shelf, and they've been floating off to the towards the northeast and uh, off into the ocean to melt. So it looks like this is just a matter of time until this uh, big chunk comes off. Yeah, it's just a matter of time. It will be uh, uh, breaking off uh, possibly quite soon. And um, even though now it's uh, now we are recording, now it's June in the northern hemisphere. It's summer in the southern hemisphere. We are in the winter. So, so what what happens when that? big chunk comes off and i I've, i don't really have the data how big it is but it is big it is, it is something like uh like a big portion of the of wales for example uh-huh. a, uh, Wh- wales as, as in if, as in the place in the wales uk wales as in the place in the uk yeah um it is uh, it is quite big and uh, it is um going to drift off but as it is sea ice it is not going to be doing a lot to the uh, uh to to the climate in the sense that it will be actually um melting but it will not change the uh, level of the oceans for example okay not because directly. it's already floating and we did mm. the analogy of the of the drink if you if you mm. uh wait for your ice cubes to melt the level will not rise if you don't put new ice cubes in no I, I, precisely that and what is um what is important here is when the ice sheets actually break off if they break off at the at the coastline then they open up for the glaciers to flow into the sea much faster oh so they will they will make that whole process more rapid yeah At the moment, uh, the ice shelves in Antarctica are holding in the glaciers. So they are actually stopping the glaciers from coming out at high speed into the ocean. But as the ice shelf breaks off from the glacier fronts, then it will be not making pressure to hold them in, and they will be able to flow at a higher rate into the ocean, carve, make icebergs, and uh, and therefore making the antarctic ice sheet uh flow out and diminish in size at a faster rate than what is doing now do we know how much uh, speed up that will mean well it really depends on the different glaciers because uh, uh, some glaciers are fast and some glaciers are very slow mm-hmm. some glaciers uh, go a few millimeters per year some others go a few meters per day Okay, so I, I have I have numbers now. I've looked it up. Um, the Larsen C, as in the letter C, shelf has an area about fifty thousand square kilometers. That's nineteen thousand square miles. So that is quite sizable. Um, the other numbers that that we looked up earlier, um, just to put the north, the 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 the, the 
Arctic and the Antarctic in relation here. Uh, the Antarctic, we're talking 26.5 million cubic kilometers of ice, which is a lot. 26.5 million cubic kilometers. Um, whereas the Greenland ice sheet, which I believe is the biggest ice sheet up there, uh, holds 2.8 million cubic kilometers of ice. So that's about 10% of what the Arctic does. So the, Ar uh, the, the Antarctic does. So the Antarctic is kind of the most important uh, ice mass on the planet. It is uh, quite uh, a considerable ice mass. The difference between Greenland, the Greenland ice sheet, uh, and the Antarctic ice sheet is that the Greenland ice sheet doesn't have a shelf, uh, an ice shelf around it. Uh, and especially in West Greenland or in Southeast Greenland, you have glaciers that go directly into the water year-round. Which is and also uh, one of the reasons you have these, these big icebergs there. You have the big icebergs, like the one that sank the Titanic, probably, yes. Oh, that came from Greenland? Yep. Likely? Likely from the uh, Iluliset uh, uh, glacier. Oh, that, um, that, that, that likely. That famous. <laughs> how, that do, likely. how do scientists find that out? That would be interesting to me. Yeah, that that might be uh, the, the something about the next podcast about how to find <laughs> out where things come out. But there, just to make it uh, short, uh, there is uh, uh, there is actually a very little, a very funny experiment uh, that was unplanned for, and that in order to find out what the surface circulation of the oceans is, uh, people have used uh, rubber ducks. And uh, you might think, well, rubber ducks, yeah, like the rubber ducks that you use, like some of us or used when they were younger or they we use it for our children in the bath did they, did they well, deliberately put rubber ducks in the in the water no. and then look where they went no there was a container lost from a container ship that was filled with rubber ducks and it exploded and uh, we know more or less where the rubber ducks actually came <laughs> into the water and came out of the container and then for years scientists have been following these thousands of rubber ducks around where they were going and uh, they have gained quite a lot of insight on the circulation it's like putting a message in a bottle but uh, and and you of course you know where the bottle was put into the water because it's written in the message there and you know where you found it so you know that the uh, connection between one place and another place <laughs> but, there but must be some current but you don't know which way it went no, but it's just quite a matter of patience. So yep. this, uh, it would probably not have been approved by some ethics uh, council, but they've been putting, uh, the, we, have, we know the position where the container went into the water. And uh, for years, people have been finding like rubber ducks in different shores and okay. different places in the oceans and signaling them. Additional it's information. Um, my job here is to, to Google while you talk. And that's what I just did. They are called the friendly floaties. Yes. Um, that's, that happened on the 10th of January, 1992, on the way from Hong Kong to Tacoma in Washington in the yes. USA. And uh, the Ever Laurel, which is the name of the ship, uh, lost 29,000 rubber ducks into, well, not just rubber ducks, actually green frogs as well and blue. Ah, that's right, yes. And blue turtles. So well, and, imagine, and red, imagine red already beavers, a container. And red beavers. But I think the. <laughs> The rubber ducks are probably the most interesting yeah. ones there. It's amazing. Well, the, and the scientists they, they have pretty much uh, used that then. 
Yeah, they float at different rates and they migrate or they are pushed by the uh, surface winds and the currents at different rates because they float differently. But uh, it's it's a very important experiment that was unplanned for, but very welcome <laughs> in spite of the problem that we have that now with microplastics. Plastics. So so that that means that for once at least the pollution of the ocean has been used in in this has been used to benefit the science. Yes, and another in another of the next podcasts, we'll talk about how Nansen came, uh, the famous uh, uh, Norwegian scientist and uh, polar explorer, uh, actually thought of the polar drift expedition where he put his ship into the ice on the north of Siberia, uh, along the coast of north of Siberia, and then let it drift into the ice towards the North Pole, and then he came out towards the uh, Fram Strait out in uh, in the North Atlantic Ocean. Wow. And he got the inspiration from driftwood, from a wreck of uh, a ship that he found out uh, came out in the along the east coast of Greenland, but originated from uh, Siberia. Wow. So mm-hmm. anything else we need to talk about i mean we're just scratching the surface let's face it this is just uh yeah well i think i think that we have uh we have a it's a brief uh overview of things i think that one other thing that we need to think about when we think about uh uh, the influence of sea ice is the uh, something called albedo and it's not just for sea ice it's for uh, ice or snow covered ground and albedo is uh, the energy that is reflected uh, from the surface of the Earth towards the atmosphere and out in space again. If we have a dark body it, and we put it in the sun, it gets warm very quickly. If we have a light-colored or white body, it doesn't heat up as quickly. We know it from our cars. It, it reflects a, the heat up back yeah, out. Yeah, it much. reflects the heat. A white car gets heated up in the sun much less than a, a black car, for example. Mm-hmm. And we know this because we use cars, unfortunately, quite a lot. Um, but uh, when we talk about the Antarctic, the Antarctic, even though it melts, the Antarctic ice sheet, it still stays relatively clear and uh, relatively white, uh, relatively uh, clear in color, like light in color. So the albedo, the energy that is reflected or the energy that is not absorbed by the surface of the earth is less than in the Arctic where we have the sea ice disappearing in the summer and the seawater is darker in color than the uh, sea ice. So the seawater absorbs more energy and this makes a positive feedback effect and positive because it increases in its effect as it goes on so the the where there is no ice there is more more heat collected from the sun and that makes the ice melt even more so as a result there is more area of the sea that that doesn't have ice and that is yeah it's it's a it's a vicious circle yeah, and the difference in albedo can uh, be also uh, dust that is deposited on the glaciers, on That'd the snow. That'd be like uh, volcano uh, ash. It can be volcano, like but it can also be like coal fire or bush fire or uh, like uh, clearing up the Amazon forest. Does the, uh, does the Sahara s- sand go up there? 
the Sahara sand can come up, not in that, not in the direction of Greenland. It's very difficult for the winds to go in that direction, but it will come up to the, to the northern uh, part of uh, Europe or Siberia, mm-hmm. and uh, it will uh, uh, make the snow melt faster in the th- in the in the spring. So it will have a, an effect on how uh, fast the transition from the summer, fr- from the winter to the summer is happening. And that is, uh, that is going to be influencing the albedo and then is also of the tundra, for example, and also of all the processes that happen in the tundra, like uh, uh, thawing of the permafrost and uh, release of uh, uh, gas hydrates from the methane that is coming from decomposition under the, uh, under the surface of the earth by decomposition of biological material. And all of this has, are factors that have to be taken into consideration with studying climate. It's it's a very, very complex science. There are very many different aspects of it. And there is no one person that can do it all. So it's a large collaboratory effort. Very multidisciplinary. Mm-hmm. So in conclusion, can we say climate change is real? We see it. We see the, the, the ice melting. We see the glaciers retreating. Um, yeah, Chris, you, you saw it yourself. Oh, uh, yes. Part I'm, of it. and uh, Very clearly. And I, yeah, it was very clear. I've seen it uh, in different places, also in Greenland. Uh, and one of one of the things uh, we probably put it on uh, as a link if uh, if uh, uh, it is still freely available. But uh, the uh, um, there is a, an atlas of glacier fronts of glaciers before and after that can be consulted online so that uh, one can look at historical pictures of the glaciers and uh, uh, look at how they have re- retreated through time all right so let's let's uh let's close this episode episode five of curiously polar we have a, b- a whole bunch of topics lined up so um we will talk about even the the the, the 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 wildlife up in the north and the south um down down to things like uh, not so wildlife like salmon farming and and all different interesting things that you might think of if you want to contact us go to curiouslypolar.com that's the place where you can find contact information so if you have specific questions or specific topic suggestions about the arctic and the antarctic let us know we'll be happy to add new things to the list, um, to the ever-growing list of things to talk about. And if you can spare a minute, go to iTunes and leave a little review or a few stars for us. That helps other people discover the podcast. All right, that was it. Mario? Chris? Any last, any last words? Well, thank you very much. It's, <laughs> as usual, a pleasure to talk to you about the polar stuff and just uh, keep them coming, all, all your right. questions. Take care and stay cool. Bye-bye.